This week on Afterwards, Republican Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio discusses the investigation by Congress conducted during his time on the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees and reflects on the Trump presidency. He's also the author of a new book, Do What You Said You Would Do. No one has faced the intense uh, opposition and attacks that President Trump did. And he did, we talk about the title of the book, he did more of what he said he would do than any president in our lifetime. He's interviewed by former Congressman Dave Bratt, Republican of Virginia. More after this. Hi, C-SPAN Book TV friends. Uh, It's uh, former Congressman Dave Bratt, Dean of Business School at Liberty University, here to uh, go through a great new book from my friend and mentor up in D.C., Congressman Jim Jordan. Uh, Do what you said you would do. Uh, from the time I knew Congressman Jordan back in 14, uh, he did live up to that pledge. He said it repeatedly to us every day. That's what a good leader does. They set the agenda. Uh, we're going to get to all the exciting uh, policy stuff that you all want to hear about in the book. Uh, but first, uh, I think it's important when, you, when, you, when your book title, Do What You Said You Were Going to Do, uh, that relies on uh, virtue and trust and keeping your word. Jim Jordan is that man. And so, Jim, why don't you just uh, tell us who you are first? Where are you from? What state? Uh, man of faith, family, family sure, guy, sure. sports. Who are you? Yeah. Well, first of all, Dave, good to be with you. Thanks you for uh, your service to our country, and congratulations on what you're doing now for uh, for Liberty University. I know you got important responsibilities there, but um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm just a country boy from uh, from Western Ohio. Married the pretty farm girl down the road. We've known each other, Polly and I. You know Polly as well. She, we've known each other since um, since fourth grade. Um, and we have four wonderful children. All four are married. We have four granddaughters and another one coming any week now. Um, so yeah, we're just, you know, now most of our kids don't live, you know, there in, in Ohio with us. Uh, in fact, only one is in state, um, but they're kind of scattered all over the place. Uh, but we do get to see the grandkids from time to time, which is, which is nice. Um, and look, I got into politics because when you when you get married and you have kids, you look at the world different and you get tired of government taking your money, telling you what to do. And I thought I thought I could, you know, maybe make a difference. And so um, I was at a point where my background is in the sport of wrestling. I was at a point where you either try to be a head coach in college wrestling or you do something else. And I decided to do something else and get involved in ran for state representative in 1994. Um, did that for six years and was in the state Senate and then been in Congress now for uh, for several terms. So uh, that's sort of my my quick story. Uh, but look, I, I think that the key issue right now is can we protect the First Amendment? Yeah. Can we uh, can we protect what makes America great right now? What the left is doing is is frightening. And so uh, we, we got our work cut out for us. But with with good folks around this country like you and your family uh, all over the place, I think we're uh, I think we're going to push them back and make sure America remains the greatest country ever. Yep. Say one word about your faith. Yeah, I mean, look, the good the good Lord. Uh, I always I always say he didn't he didn't come to save the perfect people. He came to save sinners like me. Oh man! And uh, you know, uh, the, the I, I tell people all the time that faith, family, freedom. That's what it's about. But but faith is 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 the most important. And our founders understood that. Yep. That's why they talk about in the First Amendment, the very first liberty mention of those five liberties in the First Amendment: your right to practice your faith, freedom of religion. And um, you know, Jesus came, bled, died, and rose again for uh, for folks like us. And that. Uh, uh, thank, thank, thank the good Lord for His amazing grace. Glory to God. Thank God for you too, Jim. Uh, okay, let's just uh, get to the book. Uh, we're going to kind of go back in time a little bit, folks, surveying the way the book uh, lays out the argument. 
and we're going to build an inductive case. By the time we're done with this thing, uh, the First Amendment is going to be on full display, as uh, Congressman Jordan was just noting. All of it's going to build to a crescendo. And I think at this point in time, when the poll numbers are looking like they do, uh, it's incumbent on us. uh, Do what you said you would do. If we get uh, the House back, it's incumbent we, I think, do better than last time. And so your book is perfectly timed with the right message. So let's just start off on uh, the introduction, page six. Uh, Here's a list of items you started off with uh, in order, straight out of the book. Elect Republicans, we will cut unnecessary federal spending. Elect Republicans, we will repeal and replace Obamacare. Elect Republicans, we will reform welfare. Defund Planned Parenthood. Hold the IRS wrongdoers accountable. Secure the border. Build the wall. We will dot, 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 dot. That's the list of promises. Uh, We got through some of it, but after promising, especially a repeal of Obamacare, uh, the American people want to know... how do you deal with that? Do what you said you yeah. would do? You certainly led the fight on those things. Uh, why did our conference come up short? No, it's it, uh, a good, good good point, I think, Dave. Um, good question. I mean, um, look, first the title. I, I picked the title because I, I think we make this job way too complicated. Yeah. Uh, what did you tell the voters you were going to do when you ran for it? If they give you the privilege of coming to the United States Congress and serving, do what you told them you were going to do. Do what you said you were going to do. Go fight for the things that they elected you to fight for. You did that. I think that's frankly why you got elected the first time you ran and every other time you got ran, because you were doing that that very thing. Uh, if you go back and look at the promises we made in 10 and 11 and 12 and 13, 14, all those years and, and when, when Republicans had a, had a majority, we promised we would do certain things. And it seemed like there was always a million excuses for why we couldn't do what we said we were going to. Yeah. And um, we just that's why we formed the Freedom Caucus. And that's what I talk about in the introduction. I talk about the Freedom Caucus, when you were part of that initial group of guys who came together and said, we got to fight for, uh, for the forgotten people of this country, for the moms and dads out there who think this town has completely left them behind, completely forgotten them. We're supposed to fight for them. And um, we decided that when John Boehner time and time again wouldn't carry through on the promises we had made to the people who elected us and gave us the majority, that it was time for a change. So the introduction starts off with uh, the day Mark Meadows filed the motion to vacate the chair which hadn't been done in 90 some years. And uh, just that process and how that launched a two month series of event that ultimately led to um, the speaker stepping down. And one thing I point out is in the history of this great country, the greatest nation ever, there's only been approximately 12,000 people who've had the privilege to serve in the United States Congress. If we're given that opportunity, given that privilege, we owe it to the folks back home in our district to go do what we told them we were going to do and actually accomplish the things we're supposed to accomplish, the things we were sent there to accomplish. And uh, that wasn't happening. And so we made that change. And that's how we start off the book. And then we go into a series of a number of other things as we move through it. That's great. Thanks, Jim. I'm going to go to a very short uh, sentence. Uh, Page 13, we prayed. I assume that's you and Polly. Uh, Why don't you give us a sense? It's very interesting, Christians, looking back, uh, we can easily see the providential hand of God at our revolution yeah. guiding us through the country. Uh, and yet today, uh, we don't seem to have that same spiritual confidence. So give us a little, what does it mean when, when you and your wife, Polly, uh, pray? Uh, what are you praying for? And why is that a source yeah. of uh, strength to you? And, and how, how should it be for the country? Well, I mean, we're instructed to pray. I mean, it's straight out of scripture. But I think the reference you're, you're pointing to there is where I wrote about 
um, the day we learned President Trump uh, got COVID. And, you know, I, I actually said this to the president uh, in a phone call after that. I said, Mr. President, uh, I want you to think about something. I said, there were probably more people praying for you when they knew you got the virus, probably more people in our country and around the world praying for you than probably any other person in history. And, and he, he, it was kind of funny, his reaction. Wow, I didn't really thought, think about that. But that day we were driving home, we were talking about the events of that day. And, uh, you know, we prayed for, for the president and the first lady because it was early in that process. You didn't know how, you know, how he was going to react and all. And, of course, he came out fine and strong as ever. But, um, yeah, pr- prayer changes things. The Lord tells us that, and we've all seen it in our lives, in our personal lives, where that makes a difference. So um, we were just doing what millions of other Americans were doing that day. We were praying for the president and the first lady uh, when, he got the, uh, when he got the virus. That's great. I'm going to try to keep most of the conversation kind of on the high level, dealing with uh, principles, Constitution, first principle, keeping our word on these fundamental tenets we sent out. Uh, but some of life is political, and these views are just my own. The questions are framed by me alone. And uh, so, uh, Jim, you got on, on page 18, Republicans, on the other hand, have condemned all the violence. We always do. Yeah. Uh, we try to live yeah. up to the not only the letter of the law, the spirit of the law, in all we do. Uh, and then you follow up 19 minutes after President Trump took the oath, office, uh, oath of office, the Washington Post headline campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't even wait 20 minutes, you say. Why don't, why don't you let that? I, I don't want to you know, frame this as all political, uh, but it is very hard to do what you said you're going to do when you're under this kind of First Amendment threat, the power of the press. Uh, let the folks yeah. know the, the pressure you were under. Well, I, I mean, I think the, the, the guy who was under the most pressure was President Trump. I mean, look, he came to this town. They tried to they tried to keep him uh, from getting to office. You know, before he before he was even elected, they were trying to impeach him during his office. They were trying to uh, impeach him. And now that he's been out of office, they're still coming after him. So uh, no one has faced the intense uh, opposition and attacks that President Trump did. And he did talk about the title of the book. He did more of what he said he would do than any president in our lifetime. And he did it with everyone against him. Every Democrat in this town was against him. Every uh, uh, everyone in the mainstream press in this town was against him. Everyone in the bureaucracy was against him. And a bunch of Republicans were against him. And in spite of that, he he said he would cut taxes and he did. He said he would reduce regulation and he did. He said we'd have an a, a amazing economy and we did for all demographics in our economy. I mean, African-Americans, real wages up, Hispanic, all Americans, real, real wages went up. So uh, he said he put conservatives on the court, and he did. Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh, Coney Bear. He said he'd get out of the Iran deal. He did. He said he'd put, uh, uh, put the embassy in Jerusalem, and he did. He said he would build the wall, and he did. And you can just keep going. So um, that's how you're supposed to do it. But, but the intense opposition uh, was, was, was just that. So, you know, the left controls everything. I mean, the left controls big tech, the left controls big media, the left controls higher education, the left controls Hollywood, they're trying to control primary and secondary education, the left controls the federal bureaucracy, the left controls the White House, the left controls the Senate, and the left controls the House of Representatives. But what they don't control is we the people. And um, that's the good news. The, the, The very first words in that document that starts this experiment in liberty we call America, we the people, uh, they don't control us, and we have our rights, and we can push back. And you're seeing that begin to play out. You saw it a week, uh, two weeks ago in your in your home state, yeah. um, where where voters said, "Time out on this crazy left and left uh, agenda and, and curriculum they're trying to teach our kids," um, and pushing back. So 
we spend a lot of time on that. Uh, I, I write a lot about that. And I tell I tell everyone. I actually, Dave, I I wrote every word. I mean, I'm the old fashioned. I get the yellow legal pad out, and I w- I write it out um, the old fashioned way. And so I, I write a lot about that concept in uh, in the book. Yeah, I could tell. I could uh, I could hear you yelling and getting excited as I made my. I read every word, by the way, just so, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate good. it. Yeah, yeah. You just used some uh, lingo that I think is very informative. You said the left, the left, the left. Uh, I taught in academia with liberals. Root word of the word liberal is liberty. Uh, When I came in, it seemed like there were still some liberals smattered around. Uh, But the turn to the left uh, and the control of the left, uh, what does that mean to you uh, in contrast to to the old term liberal? Yeah, no, I I, I talk about this as well. Um, So Today's uh, today's left is different than the liberals of just even just 10, 15 years ago. And the example I use and I, and I talk about this in the book is uh, one of my friends is Dennis Kucinich, former member of Congress, certainly on the left, certainly liberal as can be. Um, and, you know, you know, I'm, I'm like you. I'm on the I'm on the right. I'm conservative. But Dennis and I were friends and Dennis respected and believed in the First Amendment. He said, let's let's have the argument. Let's have the debate. You pick your you pick the you know, whatever issue you you get your best hold. You, you take your best argument and let's go at it. And if Dennis won the day, great. And he won the vote. God bless America. If we won the day, we won the vote. God bless America. We'll move on to the next issue and we'll, we'll keep debating. That's how it's supposed to work in our in our great system. But that's not today's left. Today's left, with the woke mob and the cancel culture mentality out there, today's left says, if you don't agree with me, you're not allowed to talk. And if you try to talk, we're going to call you a racist and try to cancel you and come after you, your family, your employer. It's, it's disgusting. It's frightening. It's scary where they want to go. So that's the difference. And um, I actually think it's, it's, you know, you can look at all the problems we have now in the Biden administration. Everything they've done has been a mess. We went from energy independence to now the president begging OPEC to increase production. We went from a secure border to chaos. We went from stable prices to inflation. We went from relatively safe cities to crime up everywhere because they want to defund the police. And on and on we could go. All that's important. All All those policies are bad and we need to fix those. But they're not the ones that concern me the most. The one that concerns me the most is the attack on freedom, the attack on the First Amendment. And um, uh, I, I write about that a lot in the book, and and I give examples of where they've done it. Uh, specifically, some of the the nature of my committee assignments. I'm on the oversight committee and on the judiciary, uh, judiciary committee. It seems like I've been involved in every big investigation that's happened around here in about the last ten years. The IRS investigation. I was on the Benghazi Select Committee. I was involved with the impeachment investigation. So um, we spent a lot of time on on those investigations. I write a lot about that because that's where I felt like. You saw government infringing on just fundamental rights and, and, and engaged in severe wrongdoing. Um, so that's a big part of the book as well. Yeah, I want to go uh, right there. I, I don't think uh, what you said is an overstatement. I think it's an understatement of the control of the left uh, and your committee work, particularly the CIA, the FBI, uh, the infringements of freedom uh, that are just well known now. They're factual and yet nothing has happened. And uh, yeah. you say the last point is so important on page 23. Democrats investigated 2016 election for four years. They falsely accused President Trump of colluding with Russia uh, to win the White House. That was several years of that accusation yeah. with the dossier. Yeah. It was completely false. They didn't care. They pers- totally. first put us through crossfire hurricane, then the Mueller investigation, uh, then uh, anonymous whistleblower Ukrainian 
Uh, and then they say it's Republicans who are trying to overcome an election in Orwellian <laughs> fashion. But I, I want you to go back because it, to, to, to say that our intelligence agencies who are given power of secrecy and spying on the American people are bad at the top and bad at the top to the core, right? This is not a reflection on those who serve beneath. Uh, but right. give, give the American people the seriousness of this uh, because that goes right to the guts of the First Amendment in our freedoms, I think. Sure does. Michael Horowitz did an investigation, took 29 randomly selected uh, uh, FISA applications, examined those. There were hundreds of errors in all of them. Uh, and four of those four of those FISA applications, they, you're supposed to have what's called a Woods file, which is sort of the, the documents, uh, uh, the, the support for the claims made in the actual application taken to the FISA court. And it's the evidence there. In four of those 29 that were randomly selected, they didn't even have the Woods file, which is required. I mean, this is how egregious the problem was. So, yeah, the country for four years, well, we're still not done with it. Durham just come back with, he just had uh, the Durham investigation special counsel has just two indictments here in the last couple months with Mr. Zussman and Mr. Danchenko. But for four years, they they go through this after the president, spend all kinds of money with with the Mueller team, uh, $40 $40 million, 19 uh, lawyers, 40 FBI agents, bunch of witnesses. I mean, it, unbelievable what they did. And they come back and say there was nothing there. So, but yet Hillary Clinton still says the 2016 election was stolen from her. But we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to even question the fact that in Pennsylvania, for example, they unconstitutionally changed their election law in the run up to the 2020 election didn't have the legislature make the change, just their state Supreme Court and their secretary of state just did it, not through the legislature as our constitution um, requires. So we're not, allowed to, we're not allowed to even suggest that those were concerns, but they can say for four years, uh, I said to someone the other day, you, you know, you can object to the 2016 election for four years. We're not allowed to raise concerns about the 2020 election for four minutes. Uh, and somehow this is just crazy. So, um, we, we, we make sure that uh, I write a lot about that and point, point those out um, in that chapter, point those, uh, those, those facts out as well. I'm going to skip over a little bit of uh, 14 and the budget and get just I just want to keep going on this point for a minute. There's 400 uh, members in the Congress, 100 in the Senate, 535, but only four got banned. You write on page 103, uh, Twitter put out a statement and said there's a glitch there's a glitch in Twitter's algorithm. That's, that's very <laughs> yeah. confusing. Uh, four conservatives who were focused on exposing what the FBI had done in the Trump-Russia investigation yeah. were the four. Uh, what does that mean to you? Well, I remember that day, uh, Dave. Uh, Matt Gates called me on the phone and he said, uh, Jim, Twitter is shadow banning us. And my first reaction was basically like, well, Matt, that sounds terrible, but what's shadow banning? I didn't know. You know, Gates is one of these younger guys. He understands the tech world better than, uh, you know, how this stuff works better than I do. And, um, and, and he explained it to me. It turned out he was right. And it wasn't just Matt and I. It was, it was Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan. And this is in the summer of 2018. And, um, and it was interesting because when, when this was pointed out to Twitter, Twitter came back, as you said, Dave, and they said, well, it wasn't intentional. This was just a Jack Dorsey and his spokesperson said this was just a glitch in our algorithm. And I, I remember at the time I, I was doing an interview and I said, yeah, they, they said it was just a glitch in their algorithm. And I said, well, what they put in the algorithm, the names Gates, Meadows, Nunes, Jordan. I mean, come on. Do they think we're that crazy? But this is a big concern. What what big tech is doing to conservatives? I mean, we all know the example, the Ayatollah can tweet, but President Trump can't. I mean, 
give me a break. So the, 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 the censorship we see of conservatives and then the coalition of uh, the coordination between big tech and big media to to keep the American people from getting important information like last fall before the 2020 election when big tech and big media worked together to make sure the American people didn't get the full information about the Hunter Biden story, even though we had an eyewitness, Tony Bobolinsky, even though we had uh, e- emails and, and, and messages that were real, valid email, even though we had a laptop, uh, even though the FBI was investigating, we, we weren't, this was all misinformation. So uh, ac- according to big tech and, and big media. So this is a big concern. And one of the things we have to do when I talk about this is we, we got to take away the liability protection that big tech companies have. The idea that they're immune from, yeah. from, 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 you know, from any liability uh, for making these editorial and censoring editorial decisions and censoring conservatives is just flat wrong. So uh, if we get back in the majority in a year, which I think we're going to, that's going to be something that we're going to work on passing. Yeah, let me uh, let me keep going uh, with that because that's great. Uh, the American people want to be hopeful about uh, about some of this, and so you just held out uh, some hope on that. And uh, yeah. the big the big tech firms, right? Uh, most of them squarely housed uh, on the left, or at least their leaderships. And the big six tech firms in this country. Uh, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, Microsoft, etc., are worth more than all European firms combined. Our yeah. six firms, and I've Googled this to make sure I'm right, are, are worth more than all European firms combined. And so it's one thing for you to say, hey, when we get the majority back, uh, but then when I was up there, and we're, I'll pivot back to 14 and the, the, the huge omnibus uh, budget bill that, that you discussed there, but the American people want to know if you have that much firepower arrayed against you, why yeah. why should they be able to maintain any hope? Uh, can they can they buy our entire Republican conference? Have they already bought the city? What what assurances can you give the people that we're going to get things no. right? Yeah, you take away their liability protection. That's yep. step one. You also you also deal with this antitrust question. You want to get that you want to get that question in front of the Supreme Court on a expedited basis. So this is other legislation we're looking at. Uh, it seems to me Justice Thomas has indicated he wants to address this issue and the power of big tech and the idea, are they are they like a utility? Are they not? So there's some, I mean, serious questions that need to be dealt with, but we don't want to take 20 years to figure that out. We know that we don't have that amount of time. We want to get an answer. So we're looking at legislation there. And then also considering when they censor you, when Twitter bans something or do, can you as a as a private citizen have a cause of action? So we're looking at that concept um, also, because you're exactly right. In the 2016 election, we know Google, this is straight from their head of, of uh, multicultural uh, outreach. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of her name. It's in, I, I have it in the book. Her last name is Marilla. But she talked about configuring their um, their. Uh, that Google configured their, their, their search in such a way to basically help Hillary Clinton. And it was talking about configuring matters in a way to, in, in key states was, the, was the, the term that I think stuck out to me. It was an email that was discovered after the election. And, um, but even in spite of that, you know, obviously President Trump won. But it was interesting. We go through what they tried to do, not in California, not in Alabama, because everyone knew California was going to go for Secretary Clinton in the 2016 election. Everyone knew Alabama was going to go for President Trump in the 2016 election. No, they were looking in the swing states. They were, ma- they were making changes in, in Nevada to help bring out the Hispanic vote. What they didn't realize is a, 
a much higher percentage of the Hispanic vote voted for President Trump than they than they figured. So they're they're even though they tried to help it for Clinton, it didn't really work. <clears throat> but the fact that they were doing that, and you, we have it in actual documents. And I got to question um, uh, the the CEO of Google, Mr. Pichai, when he was uh, testified in front of uh, the Judiciary Committee a few years ago. So yeah, this is a serious concern, and why we have to, uh, I think, legislatively address this. But it starts with what's called Section 230 and taking away their liability protection. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that. That's great to hear. I, I, I'm I'm just going to jump to uh, it wasn't in the book, but in the in the Virginia election, uh, kind of a related issue. Uh, just the stark contrast between two positions: one where the government says they're in charge of your children, and the other. Uh, originalist, you know, constitutional position is, yeah. no, the family's in charge of the kids. This is all related, right? Uh, sure who, who's in charge of information? Who's in charge of your information? Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your kids? And yeah. uh, what you, coming off the Virginia victory, how do you, how do you read uh, that issue tied in with these others related to First Amendment freedoms? No, great, great point. No, it, it turns out when, when government says we're, <clears throat> we care about your kids more, or excuse me, when the Democrat Party says government cares more about your kids than than parents do, um, parents don't don't particularly care for that. They say, "Well, time out. I don't. I don't think so." So, um, yeah. Whenever you whenever you got big government thinking they have um, that they should have more control over over your children than moms and dads, moms and dads are going to push back, and appropriately so. And I I was so encouraged by what happened in in Virginia. You know, I always say the first institution the good Lord put together wasn't the church, wasn't the state. It was the family. It was moms and dads and kids. And when big government thinks they're more important than moms and dads, moms and dads don't like that. And you saw moms and, you know, you've, you've, you've been in elective office, you know, Dave, that we have to deal with lobbyists from time to time. But I always say no high paid lobbyist will ever beat a mom on a mission. That's right. A mission to do what's best for her son or daughter. And uh, we saw that play out in Virginia in a strong way. I think it's, I think it's, it, we almost saw it play out in, in New Jersey as well. Um, I think it's going to be an important issue. Think about this. If you go look at the average graduation rate in our urban areas, urban schools, or you look at, uh, you know, kids reading at grade level, it, my guess is in, in most of these areas, it's probably 20% of kids in the third grade are actually reading at, at third grade level in these big urban schools. And, and what's the Democrats' response? Oh, we're going to make them wear a mask all day and we're going to teach them critical race theory. And parents are like, what? So uh, th- this is so true. Any, anyone running for school board or any elective office, if they're not for school choice, if they're not for empowering parents, moms and dads to do what's best for their kids' education, don't vote for them. Vote for someone else. Run someone against them. Or you run against them. Th- this has to change where, where we actually give kids the education they need so they can achieve the American dream. Right now, what's happening to so many kids, particularly in big urban school districts, is we are shortchanging them with this baloney that curriculum they want to teach them instead of teaching them how to read and write and do mathematics uh, and teach them American history, real history. Um, so don't vote for anyone unless, unless, they, unless they'll commit to you. They're going to fight for your choice as a parent to put your kid in a good school. Yeah. Let me pivot. Uh, we're basically staying on the same issue, just coming at it uh, different directions to get the budgets and government spending. The history of the world is the history of kings and pharaohs and despots and whatever. And then 
uh, United States, uh, the miraculous Judeo-Christian tradition putting in the rule yeah. of law and the Constitution and giving us free markets and, and freedoms, right? The first time yeah. in, in human history to have, have a country this great. And now we're beating each other up instead of supporting each other, loving each other. Everyone's beating each other up. And the word fascism is, is being bandied about. But in eighth yeah. grade, I think I learned uh, fascism requires a big government. And sure so does. when it comes to spending, uh, one of the reasons we're so scared as a country right now and fighting so hard is because there is a lot at stake. All the money's up at the federal government, all the power and control that yeah. goes with the money. Uh, 14, we had, when I came in, we had big budget uh, debates going forward. Uh, what yeah. is your view, and how does your, in the book, how do you lay out the importance of, of spending in these blowout budgets, now the trillion-dollar deficits that are just yeah. commonplace? No, you're right. We're, we're in a very dangerous position of interest rates go up much, uh, you know, just to service the debt, the, the $30 trillion yep. debt we now have um, becomes just a huge obstacle. So <clears throat> we're in a dangerous position. You came in on that issue. When you got elected, it was about, about spending. And we certainly tried. Unfortunately, what happened, and I, I give examples throughout the book, what happened is we got to the end of the fiscal year, we'd have a big spending bill. And instead of fighting for what we said we would do, it seemed like we always capitulated and gave in to whatever Harry Reid or Barack Obama wanted or whatever the Senate could agree on. And it was frustrating. We said, well, we, we should we should fight some of this stuff and and again, stick to what we were elected to do by the voters. So um, we never got Obamacare fully, fully repealed. We made some changes, but not near enough like we promised the uh, the American people. That was a frustration. So I give one example in there. Um, if you remember when we, we, we pushed out Speaker Boehner um, and Paul Ryan became the next speaker, uh, shortly after he was um, uh, elected, we had passed legislation. If you remember, there was a, there was a terrorist attack in, in San Bernardino and terrible things happened. And ISIS had put out a statement via, via these social media platforms, put out a statement saying that... Um, they were going to try to exploit our refugee laws to get bad people in the country, terrorists in the country, to do, do Americans harm. And so there was legislation that passed the House. I think it was 60-some Democrats supported it. Every Republican supported it, which tightened up our refugee laws and said the, the vetting process for letting people in the country. Just a good, good bipartisan piece, just good common sense, good government. Yep. Um, that bill passes. Uh, Harry Reid says, no, we're not for it. President Obama says it's not for it. And the Senate wouldn't take up the legislation. Well, so that bill's passed. And we're in one of these big fights over the end of year spending. You know, we got to have some agreement. The government shut down all the, you know, all the hysterics that happened. It's kind of interesting. We're heading into that kind of same context now yeah. here these these last few weeks of this year. But so we're in that kind of. And, and I remember Mark Meadows and I, we went to Paul Ryan and we said, Paul, take that bill that the country obviously wants, 60-some Democrats voted for it, take that bill, put it on the spending bill, and we will agree now that, you know, we, we would have to agree to some bad spending. I said, but let's win something. Let's win something for the American people. Let's show that we're actually accomplishing things that our voters want us to accomplish and that are good for the country. And even though we're against all this crazy spending, we will live with the bad spending in this bill. We'll round you up votes if we at least went on one policy issue, mm -hmm. one timely policy issue. And Paul Ryan wouldn't do it. He, would, he just like, 
he was he was just he just wouldn't do it. No, we can't do that. What will the media say? What if we have a shutdown? I'm like, a shutdown over that issue? <laughs> like, we don't want to shut down the government, but we want to protect the country. And this is something a bunch of Democrats have voted for. But that was just the frustration level. We I know you and I felt because you were right there with us and we were we were making these arguments. And it's and then what did they do? All the bad spending and no good policy. So it's like we got the worst of it. <laughs> of everything so often. And that's what frustrated the American people. And frankly, as I point out in the book, that's what laid the groundwork for the most successful president we've had in our lifetime. When Donald Trump ran in 2016, the American people said, here's somebody who's going to shake that place up, who's going to take on the swamp and change things. And he did. And he did it in such a positive way, in my judgment. And that's why I'm that's why I want him to run again in in 2024. Yeah, let me ask you about uh, that one of those policy questions back in 04. Uh, huge amnesty bill up by 14. Uh, that comes crashing down. DACA becomes a big issue in that budget proposal. Yep. President yep. Trump comes on the scene. It's a major issue. Uh, and then in, in, in the last Virginia election, say also, see, so you, you, you've got immigration, You've got Afghanistan, you've got inflation, you've got gas prices, you've got food prices, you've got $45 trillion in debt uh, coming up. You've got the school issues yeah. against the parent issues, and we only win by 3%. Even with all those tailwinds, uh, we still only win by 3%. What, what is it going to take, if you want to go back to DACA, it, it began, uh, the, the mainstream media, again, we're kind of back yeah. to that issue, frames things. Uh, and made us look like no, it's not a real issue. Now it turns out years later we're seeing it's it's in front of your eyes every day on the TV. Uh, what's it going to take uh, to to win a huge middle back to just common sense uh, America? I think it's happening. I mean, what uh, two weeks ago there was polling that showed uh, our fellow citizens seventy one percent of our fellow citizens said the country's on the wrong track. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 I don't I don't ever remember a number that high, wrong track number in polling yeah. that high. I mean, it, 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 I, I asked, I said this a couple of weeks ago, I said, I want to meet the 29 percent who think it's on the right track. I mean, who are these people? Because there is nothing going well. I mean, you, you know, th- think about inflation. The, the um, you, you want to buy a home, it's going to cost more. You want to rent an apartment, it's going to cost more. You want to you, you got to put food on the on the table. It's going to cost more. Putting gas in your car, it costs more. A Chris, uh, uh, Thanksgiving turkey and Christmas presents, they all cost more. Everything costs more. And and to, to the immigration issue, I, I, I probably said, I don't know how many times I've said this in an interview. March was the highest month on record for illegal crossings on our border. Illegal encounters, people trying to enter our country illegally. Highest month on record until April. And then April was the highest month until May. And then May was the highest month until June. And then June was the highest month until July when it was 212,000. To date, we are at 1.7 million illegals coming into the country. And the Biden administration is just sending them everywhere. And look, I don't fault people wanting to come to the greatest country ever, but you got to do it legally. And what happens, the, 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 the trauma, the terrible things that happen to families and to kids and the the, the cartels who making tons of money on this, it's scary. And it's all because of Joe Biden's policies, because he undid the policies that were actually working that President Trump had. So um, it's really scary where they're going to go. Uh, I, I keep calling it now this accelerated march to communism we see from today's left, which controls the Democrat Party, is really, really scary. 
Yeah. And it's about getting rid of a border, getting rid of stable pricing, get rid, get, getting rid of just common sense economic policy, getting rid of energy independence. And when you with all that's like it's this has to be deliberate. They can't be this stupid. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's what really I think is, is scary. And again, we I, I write about this in the book as well. Yeah, I think you summed it up. Uh, page 110. Americans hate double standards. We despise yeah. one set of rules for regular people, but a different set for the politically connected. One set of yeah. rules for farmers, workers, small business, and others for the elite in Washington. One set of rules yeah. for you and me, another for Lois Lerner, Koskin, and Hillary. In America, there is equal treatment under the law. Uh, why don't you uh, elaborate on that? I think that kind of is the guts of your message. Yeah, what we what, what I try to do in the book is um, is allow the reader to get behind the scenes and feel what it's like. Um and as I said earlier, I've, I've had, because of the committee assignments I've had in Congress, it seems like I've always had the, the opportunity or the, and, and the privilege to be involved in these big investigations. And, you know, you had when the IRS targeted conservatives, targeted great people across this country for simply wanting to speak out against the spending in Obamacare. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I was put on the Benghazi Select Committee um, and then, of course, with impeachment and, and, and then then the whole Mueller investigation, which judiciary and oversight were looking at, you know, the, this crazy idea that that President Trump colluded with Russia, which was just a bunch of baloney. And so Americans are frustrated with that. What, what, it's, it was it, a few years ago it was the number one question I got. I'd have people walk up to me, go, uh, it just what I remember this one guy was I think it was in the Tulsa airport or some airport. And uh, I come out of the restroom and this big old guy with a cowboy hat kind of sees me as this kind of stern look and he walks right over to me. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder what, and he walks right up to me. He goes, when is someone going to jail? And it was like, they're tired of it. Like, you know, Michael Flynn has the treatment he has, but Lois Lerner gets to take the fifth and gets her pension. Uh, Andy McCabe lied to the FBI and lied several times to the inspector general, but Merrick Garland just issued a settlement and said, you get all your pension and you get your lawyer's fees. Well, give me a break. So Hillary Clinton gets to destroy 30 some thousand emails and oh, no big deal. She gets to have her private server when you when she wasn't supposed to have that and do government work on that, even though it violated the, the, the records law. So Americans have had it because, as, as, as I said in the book, and as you just said, Dave, in this great country, it's supposed to be equal treatment under the law. And when you don't have that, people begin to lose faith in our in our core and key institutions. And that's not healthy. Yeah, do you uh, do you see any hope that our conference will get strong enough to deliver uh, on promises like that? I mean, what you just set up is right. There's a you say in your book, there's a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. Five of the top yeah. people, the FBI demoted or fired. Five of the top, same five yeah. people who ran the Clinton investigation, same five who ran the Trump Russia fake fake news uh, investigation, uh, five people who ran the two biggest investigations in our lifetime. And so yep. that guy is representative. That came, when is, if you break the law, uh, our side, I don't think it's good enough to just move on. I, I, I think you do right. have to go back and, and clean up somehow. Is, is there any hope that justice ever does happen uh, uh, from our side taking leadership? Yeah, so, so uh, three things. One, the, that, uh, the fair leadership, the upper echelon of the FBI was yep. actually a statement that Bill Barr made, yep. uh, and he was right. You talk about Comey, McCabe, uh, Strzok, Page, and Jim Baker. They were the top five people. They've all they all either were were fired or left or had to or had to leave. Yeah. Uh, some were under investigation, and as I said, they they they, they handled the big the big investigations of, of the Clinton email issue and of course the Trump Russia 
Um, uh, second, second point is I think John Durham is 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 beginning to to do just that. Uh, uh, hold people accountable. This latest indictment of Danchenko. I always point out the Zussman indictment and the Danchenko indictment. These for for lying to the FBI. These aren't lies. These individuals uh, uh, said to Mr. Durham and his investigative team. These are the original lies. These are the lies that were said in 2016 and 2017 that became the reason for the FBI opening up the whole Trump-Russia investigation. So Durham is going right to the source. And then if you read the Danchenko indictment from a couple of weeks ago, it's 30 some pages. He walks us through that. This goes right to the Clinton campaign. So yeah. the old the old cliche is true here. They always accuse us of what of what they're doing. Yeah. And it was the Clinton campaign who was working with Russians to create this completely false, completely false uh, narrative. And there was a handful of us three, four years ago who said this doesn't make sense. And I mean, literally just a handful of us in Congress and maybe 10 or 12 people in the press who just stayed on this issue and turned out, frankly, we were right. I, I said the other day, the only thing we were wrong about is it was worse than we thought. And then finally, the third third point is, is if we win back the majority, you're exactly right. There are some key investigations that need to be done in a host of areas. I mean, think about this. There were thousands of, of tax returns somehow made public. How did that happen? That's never supposed to happen in this. Thousands of our fellow citizens' tax returns yeah. went yeah. public. That needs to be investigated. Um, we need to figure out this whole Fauci mess. You know, Fauci, I'm convinced, misled the American people in a big way about the origins of this virus. And he knew from the get go. So um, all those things have to happen. And if we're in the majority and I get to be the, the, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, I plan on doing some of that. That's great. Uh, Jim Jordan was my mentor and uh, it, it was always fun. He uh, he always had the country's best interest in mind. Uh, he always had us, our best interest in mind as individuals, as individual in the House Freedom Caucus. He was the leader. Uh, he was kind of the wrestling captain out there leading the team. And uh, I'll just take you all behind the scenes. He takes you behind the scenes in his book uh, on the repeal of Obamacare, right? We promised for seven years we're going to repeal this thing. And then it comes key time, and he's leading the negotiations. Uh, I remember, this is quoting Jim Jordan, I remember giving the same speech multiple times. Quote, guys, this is him. This is he. Guys, guys, it's not going to be easy, but we got to stay committed to what we said we're going to do. Never forget, you get a better deal at 1201 than you do at 1159. He said that over and over. That was all time. We're going to have to go past the deadline for them to understand that we're serious. Uh, that's in our own conference. That's in-house, a little bit taking you behind the scenes. What's that mean, Jim? What, what's going on there? Yeah, that was that was when we first uh, first took the majority. President Trump's elected. Uh, we should have repealed Obamacare on January 20th, 2017. A few minutes after President Trump takes the oath of office, we should have had the repeal legislation, the same legislation that we had passed in the House and Senate that Obama, of course, didn't sign a year earlier. We should have just put that same bill there. But we didn't. Paul Ryan had a whole different crazy plan, the most ineffective, crazy strategy I've ever seen. Yep. Um, so we should have we should have done that. And we didn't. So then we had to oppose the Ryan plan to get a better plan, ultimately, that did pass the House. But everyone knows the end of the story. Uh, unfortunately, John McCain gave it the thumbs down. So I I try to take the uh, the reader behind the scenes and, and let them get a feel for the negotiations that were going on, the meetings that Mark and I had and that we all had with President Trump um, during that, that it, it was a tense time uh, because the president, 
frankly, President Trump didn't really know who all were his were his people who were good, his allies and actually helping him do what he said he was going to do. Um, so it's an interesting time. But, yeah, sometimes you got to you got to get past the deadline before you can actually get a, a better deal, a good deal. And um, that's something we 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 learned as a Freedom Caucus. And we were able to use that 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 uh, tactic from time to time to actually accomplish more of what we told the American people we were going to do for them. Great. Uh, do what you said you would do. Go buy the book. Good Thanksgiving present, Christmas present. Get it for the family. Uh, they're going to want to read through this. Hey, Jim, uh, so far I've kind of been retrospective, looking back, do what you said you were going to do. Uh, what are you saying now? What what should we do now? Uh, what what promises uh, from the past or what, what, what are the key policy issues you see going forward? What are the promises you're making to the people? The yeah, Freedom Caucus is making to the people, the conference. Uh, what, are, what are we promising? They, they want to know. What can we well, hold you to? No, the first step is if we win the House next, uh, win back the House and Senate to Congress next uh, next November, then we got to just, you know, put the brakes on all the craziness that the left is doing. So just it's then it's about getting to at least a stalemate. Then when President Trump runs again in 24 and wins and we control government, we're going to have to undo the tax increases that they're looking to do this week. We're going to have to undo some of the crazy spending, the bad energy policy, if they can get get that through. And then we're going to have to really focus on cleaning, cleaning the bureaucracy up so that particularly the Justice Department. So we have respect for the First Amendment again and dealing with big tech, as we talked about. So all those are the things we have to do if we get if we get control, you know, we get uh, a Republican president and Republican controlled Congress. But next year, it's if we if we win back the House and Senate, it's about just putting the brakes on the craziness coming from the Biden administration. I mean, again, 71% of the country thinks we're on the wrong track because they have done crazy things. It's, as I've said now a couple times, it's an accelerated march to communism. And it's it's frightening to see, but I, I don't know how to define it any differently. When you're telling parents, government's smarter than you, when you're saying to OPEC, increase production, while you're telling American energy companies to decrease production, when you say like, oh, we need to get rid of police and, and defund the police, I mean, that's craziness. So um, that's that's where we have to focus. And the, when I'm out and about, I mean, I travel a lot to help our colleagues and 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 for fundraising for um, for you know for our colleagues. Um, people come up. The American people get it. The American people are smart. They have common sense and they understand what this Biden administration has done with complete Democrat control of the federal government is is truly frightening, and they want to they want to put a halt to. It. Yeah, no, that's super. I remember uh, Newt Gingrich had a contract uh, with America in general uh, a couple decades back, a few decades back, maybe. Yep. Uh, can our? I know you believe this. I know the Freedom Caucus believes this, uh, but the people want to believe that uh, the party. And I'm just speaking for myself here, right? This is these are my views uh, individually. Uh, but but the the people want to know that the conference, that the Republican Party or some party. Uh, has these principles. And when you got 70% disapproval, uh, kind of Newt's style was a 70%, right? You, you just yeah. listed a bunch of no-brainers. Uh, can can we yeah. put 10 of those on paper so that people can go, whew, these oh, yeah. guys get it. I, I, I actually believe them. They, they put it on paper yeah. and we can hold them to it. Can we get to that point? Yeah, we actually have uh, the the leader, uh, Leader McCarthy has created these task force. One is one I get the privilege of chairing, which is on the First Amendment and on freedom, basically. Um, but we have one on big tech. We have one on national security, on, on various subject and policy areas. So, yeah, that will be a document in the end that that we will have. And it's like 
this spells out where we need to go. I think education is key. <clears throat> we saw that, again, when, when you have the Attorney General of the United States, the Attorney General of the United States issuing a memorandum which treats parents as domestic terrorists. Now, in the committee, he said that wasn't the case. But the day that he issued that memorandum on October 5th of this year, accompanying the memorandum was a press release from the Department of Justice. In the press release, it talked about having the National Security Division involved with the task force that's going to look at school board matters and parents being involved in school board meetings. And I'm like, the National Security Division is the division that deals with terrorism in the Department of Justice. So they were, in fact, doing that. And it was all prompted. Merrick Garland said this in that hearing. It was all prompted by the letter sent from the left-wing National School Board Association on September 29th. Five days later, he does his memo with the accompanying uh, press release talking about the National Security Division. And the day after our hearing, two weeks ago, the day after our hearing, the School Board Association apologized for their letter because they saw how bad this was for them politically. They saw what was happening. I wouldn't be surprised if someone from the McAuliffe campaign uh, called the White House and said, hey, we got to do something, you know, because this was this was just a, 10 days before, I think, that election. We got to do something. This isn't playing well. So when you have that kind of scenario playing out with the Justice Department doing that at the, at the prompting of a left-wing political organization, one of the things we have to really focus on if we get power is what we're going to do for parents, what we're going to do for kids, helping them get the right kind of education, a good education, versus this one where today in so many of our urban areas, the graduation rate's terrible, uh, and, and, and the, at p- kids reading at a grade level is, uh, is so low. So I think that's a key element as we move forward. Yeah, uh, what do you say to Americans who, who really are concerned and trust people like you, and they are scared right now? You're in a small business. Uh, you're dealing with yeah. the, an issue like mandates or something like that. We yep. don't have any branch of government, and some of the state governments, there's there's uh, some some power left. Uh, how how do these people survive? First of all, are, are these mandates constitutional? Uh, is there a remedy in the short run for small businesses uh, who just yeah. want to live their lives? And I, I don't have a strong position one way or the other. Uh, but these people are yeah. there are there are small business people that are scared existentially that they're going to lose their firm. Yeah. No. I I think. Um... I think it is unconstitutional, particularly this vaccine mandate. We had a great decision from the Fifth Circuit. Uh, that's good. That that they said this this is constitutionally uh, just not there. Thank thank goodness for for, for uh, that. The other thing I try to tell Americans is, you know, this is America. We've always risen to the occasion. Um, I don't know if I write about this in the book, but I, I was saying this the other day in a speech. Someone once said that every third generation in this country has had to do something big. And, you know, you start with the founders, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Franklin, these guys, Madison, they they put together this amazing thing called America where freedom actually, freedom mattered, freedom counted. And the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, I mean, it's fascinating. And they did it against unbelievable odds. Three generations later, Lincoln held the union together and we got rid of the evil of slavery. Tough time. But that generation of Americans made it happen. Yep. Three generations after that, the greatest generation, as some have called, right. I think appropriately so, dealt with the evils of Nazi Germany, Imperial Japan, and, and, and won that too. And here we are now three generations later, and it's, maybe it's our turn. It's our turn to stand up to the radical left who wants to fundamentally change the country and stop it from happening. And, and I've said, look, we've risen to the challenge before. We'll do it again. This is a great, I, actually, I finished a book talking about just how amazing this country is 
And I use the example of some of the great people in our in our past who've accomplished amazing things. So uh, we'll be all right. And I think deep down, Americans have that. You know, I always I always say that my favorite scripture verse is Second Timothy four seven, where Paul's talking to the young guy Timothy, and he says, "Fight the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith." And I think that verse represents the attitude Americans have, and that's it served us well, and I think it'll serve us well in the future. That's great. Uh, you got a few more minutes to make the close. Anything I left out from this brilliant interview process here? Uh, you are good, man. I knew you <laughs> no, would be. No. But more importantly, yeah. uh, we we believe in all Americans, right? Uh, yeah. It's love your neighbor as yourself. It's not love Republicans or Democrats. What we love everybody. What uh, yeah. what what's your call uh, to everybody listening here? Uh, what what unites us all as children of God, uh, made in the image of God? Uh, what unites us? What, what's your call out to everybody to win everybody over so we can have a winning agenda? And uh, that means you do have to make some picks. What, what are you calling yep. people to? What are we going to unify around uh, that will hold yeah. us together? Yeah, I think the Constitution. Yep. I mean, I, I am so nervous about what I see happening to the First Amendment. I mean, understand, Dave, you know, you got five liberties under the First Amendment. Your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, your right to petition government, freedom of the press, freedom of speech. They're all critically important. They've all been assaulted by the left in the last year. I mean, there are still places in this country where a full congregation can't meet on a Sunday morning. That's, that's crazy. The, I, I gave a speech. I, I, I've been talking about this. I gave a speech to the New Mexico Republican Party. It's about six, seven months ago. To the New Mexico Republican Party in Amarillo, Texas, because they couldn't assemble in their own state. They had to go to Texas to get freedom to assemble, to exercise their First Amendment liberty. Until just a few months ago, actually a few weeks ago, you couldn't, you couldn't petition your government, you couldn't go to your capital to petition your member of Congress to redress your grievances because Nancy Pelosi wouldn't let you in, your own capital. Yeah. So those are the things, and the most important, most important right we have under the First Amendment is your right to talk, your right to speak, and to speak in a political fashion and not be harassed, intimidated, canceled, attacked for doing it. And that is that is why the left goes after speech so much. That's why the cancel culture mob and the, the politically correct and awoke speak is so darn important to the left. Because if, if, if you can't engage in debate, if they can just silence you, they're going to win. So to me, it's it's we should rally around the First Amendment. You don't have to agree with me. We don't, I don't have to agree with you, but let's have a fair debate. And let's let the American people decide. That's how it's supposed to work under our constitutional system. And then I think part of that is this idea that unelected people are making the rules. Yeah. I mean, when did Dr. Fauci ever put his name on a ballot? Yeah. When did Lois Lerner put her name on a ballot? She made all kinds of decisions at the IRS, who she was going to go after, who was going to get tax exempt. I mean, it's, that's frightening. You, you, the people who make decisions in our constitutional system are the ones who put their name on a ballot, go out and talk to the people, and if the people elect them, that's the individuals who make decisions. That's how it works in our system. So it's respect for the Constitution, respect for the First Amendment. That's what we should rally around. That's super. What's your uh, what's your prayer and what's your call to uh, every everybody listening here? What's the most important thing they can do for God, their family, and their country today? No, first of all, pray for the country. I mean, you, you started off. I thought it was so so nice that you started off with with talking about prayer. Uh, it's important. Pray for our great country. Um, it's, it is, the world's a safer, better place when America leads. I mean, it just is. And, and, and to lead, to lead militarily, you have to lead economically and diplomatically. So pray for the overall country. It's, it's, it's much better when America leads with the values and, 
and principles that make us a special place. Uh, when we're when we're leading, that's that's critical. So so pray for the the country. I think it's important. And then I would ask you to I would ask everyone to pray for a willingness to step out. When when you have someone who's standing up for truth, and they get attacked by the cancel culture mob, don't leave that person hanging. Come help them. Come help them. And so think about the school board scenario. When one mom stands up and speaks out for the truth, speaks up for, you know, not teaching this, this hate America racist curriculum that, that is critical race theory. When one mom does it, next meeting, make sure there are three moms there. And then the meeting after, make sure some dads and there's, there's 20 people there. I mean, that's how you, that's how America works. So be willing to step up um, and make a difference, particularly when someone has already stepped out there. Courage is contagious. One person showing it, pretty soon it's a few more. And then it's a, and then you can get the right kind of policy in place. Yep. All right, that is Congressman Jim Jordan. Do what you said you would do. Uh, that man you just saw right there for the past hours, the man I saw every day up in Capitol Hill. Integrity is when everything holds together all the time. When things cling together, his values, his virtues, his actions. His, you heard today what we heard in, in, in the halls of Congress uh, when we met together. And so honored to be able to interview my good friend, mentor, uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. Keep the faith, brother, and keep leading. Dave, thank and, you. And uh, do what you thank said you. you would do. God bless you. Thanks, Dave. Take care, brother. You bet. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. Looking for books to give us gifts this year? Listen to the About Books podcast. On this week's episode, we talk to New York Times book review editor, Pamela Paul, about her latest book, 100 Things We've Lost to the Internet, and some of her notable books of the year. Find the About Books podcast and all of C-SPAN's podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>